We are beginning our year together looking at a few of the questions that Jesus asked in his ministry. Whether he was talking with his first followers or whether he was talking with with adversaries, more often than not, there was a back and forth dialogue that, that involved some type of questions. Usually on Jesus' part, some, something that Jesus asked the people he was talking with or the person he was talking with. Last Sunday I mentioned that he asked somewhere around 300 different questions. And we're only going to really cover a few of them in these first six weeks of the year. So we started last week with the first question that he asks in the Gospel of John. What do you want? Not really. Well, yes, that's the question that he asked, but maybe not with that tone. More accurately, what are you looking for? What are you searching for? I mentioned that the question sets the tone for the entirety of John's Gospel. And I encourage us to start the year thinking of how we would answer that question. What are we looking for? What what are we looking for when it comes to Jesus? Today we are again in John's Gospel, picking up at the beginning of chapter 5 where we read. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up my mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick up? Pick it up and walk. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So after the man is healed, Jesus uh, slips into the crowd, and, and at some point later he, he, he finds him again. He finds him again on the temple grounds, and he says, Wow! Wow! You look so much better. Remember, you look so much better, but remember, you've been given a second chance. Don't forget how far you've come. Don't forget to be grateful. Jesus gave him new life, and now he was asking him to live in a way that reflected that new reality. Whenever I I think of this question, whenever I, I read this story, I can't help But remember the first time I spent some time in the hospital. I've shared some of the story before. It was during uh, the second semester of my freshman year of college. I woke up early one morning and didn't quite feel right. My, my midsection was on fire, so I walked down the hallway of my dorm and went to the bathroom and I turned on the light and I saw the grossest rash I had ever seen. A little too much information, maybe. 
I, I waited the, the rest of the night, and then I said, you know what, it's urgent. I'm going to go to urgent care at about 8 in the morning. I went to urgent care. They, they sent me home with Benadryl. They said, you're going to be fine. It's just an allergic reaction. And at about 2 or 3 in the afternoon, I said, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be fine. My, my fingers, they swelled up to the size of sausages. The arches in my feet swelled up like, like bowling balls. It hurt to move. It, it hurt to move. And I said, you know what? I think I'm going to go back. So I went to the ER and was admitted immediately. And I remember thinking, finally, after, after a full day of, of feeling awful, they're going to give me something to make this go away. Something to make me well. But the doctors didn't know what I had, so, so they wouldn't give me any medicine. So I spent two days without any medicine, and any time I'd feel uncomfortable, they'd say, here's some ice chips. Thanks, Doc. Specialists were brought in from all over Southern California to look at me like I was some sort of science experiment. And they couldn't figure it out. They poked, they prodded, they asked all kinds of uncomfortable questions. Where had I been? What had I been up to? Where had I surfed? Who had I been around? And why wasn't I telling the truth about it all? At one point, they asked my mom to leave the hospital room, and they said, okay, she's not here anymore. You can tell us the truth. And I remember thinking, guys, I'm in, I'm in so much pain. Just give me something. After about a week... The swelling went down and the rash went away. We didn't have answers. The specialists didn't have answers. I, I, I never, I still haven't received a diagnosis, but somehow things were better. Within three weeks, I was completely normal and back to myself with no explanation. So when I read this part of John, I can't help but remember that, that time my freshman year in college. And as I prepared for the sermon this week, I couldn't help but think of all of the different folks in our congregation who are navigating illnesses and challenges today, who are looking for answers today and aren't finding an adequate response. Whether it's a cold running through a household or something more serious, we all know someone who would answer Jesus' question, do you want to be well, with a resounding yes. More often than not, when we find ourselves in that place, when we're wrestling with something ourselves or, or whether we're concerned for a loved one, the answers that we're given often feel inadequate. They leave us feeling helpless. The man waiting by the pools in Bethsaida, he, he was in a, a similar place. We'll talk in more detail about him in a, in a couple moments, but it's safe to say that after 38 years, he had grown accustomed to the idea that no one was going to help him into the water. Bethsaida, uh, it means house of mercy or house of flowing. And there were two pools there, one that dated back to the time of Hezekiah, about 700 years before Christ, and one that was built about 200 years before Christ. They were fairly close to the temple, 
right outside the sheep's gate, as John, John writes. Um, and, and they were likely, when they were first created, they were created for, for the Jewish practice of mikvah. Mikvah uh, was a ritual cleansing that took place before someone could enter the temple grounds. What, what might you think of when, in our own practice when we think of a ritual cleansing? Baptism. Right, baptism. So they had these, these pools that they would, they would kind of enter before they would be allowed to go into the temple grounds. And in Jesus' day, there was a, a, a commonly held belief that at some point an angel of the Lord would, would enter these pools or would come down and swirl the waters in these pools, that they would, they would bubble up and produce some sort of healing elixir. And when that happened, people would, would move into the water. The challenge was being in the right place at the right time. When I visited these pools five years ago, uh, it was one of the few places in the entire Holy Land that wasn't crowded, that I could just kind of journey around and, and walk around without anybody else being there. Uh, my uncle and I we're, we're all alone, and right, right around the, the pools, on top of the pools, actually, there's a, a Byzantine church and a Crusader-era church built on top of it. That's how they know this is the site. It was discovered in the, in the 1940s. Um, and so we walked around, we looked around, and, and, and we had about an hour, almost two hours to ourselves. So it, was, it was awesome. And as we were leaving, I said, it's really eerie how quiet it is. Are we in the right spot? And I, I heard... I heard voices down below. I thought, wow, there are other people here. And I, I could hear them down below in the bottom down there. And I said, wow, are, are there people down there? And there's ropes telling visitors where they should and shouldn't go. And some, some people had jumped over the ropes, had gone down into the cave. And you could hear them splashing around in some water. I later found out that it's really just kind of the, the sewer system of Jerusalem that they're, they're splashing around with in, in under, under the water. Um, and I, I also learned that it was a common practice for Christians from, from some parts of the world, typically from, from Eastern Africa, especially those who were gravely ill. They, they read the scripture story and they said, we've got, we've got to get to those waters ourselves. We need those waters. They were looking to answer the same question that was asked to the invalid man in our scripture today. Do you want to be well? It's a question that transcends culture, transcends history, and every barrier we can imagine. Regardless of what we believe, regardless of when we were born at one point or another, we wrestle with wanting to be well. And if we're talking about healthy living, there's a, a good chance. It happened when I was talking here with, with the kids earlier. I said, well, what do we do when we got to get better? They said, drink water. They said, drink water. At, at some point, we'll, we'll, no matter when, where we're from, we think of water when we think of health. A friend of mine sits on the board of an organization called, uh, called Charity Water. And yesterday, the founder of the organization received uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. Um, Humanitarian Award in Atlanta for the work that they've done with bringing clean water to 17 million people worldwide. And as he received the award, he said, this is great. This is great. But 17 million, there's still 700 million people living without 
clean water, without access to clean water. Just over twice the population of the U.S. John refers to water quite a bit at the beginning of his gospel. In the first chapter, it starts with references to baptism. Then in the second, we have Jesus' first miracle. There's no wine if there's no water. And the first baptisms that he performs himself in chapter 3. And then in in chapter 4, we we get the interaction, another interaction that, that involves questions. Can you give me a cup of clean water? That he asked the Samaritan woman. And then we get here to healing. But it's not just John. Water plays an important role throughout all of Scripture. And it's often connected to God's mysterious power into healing. Now we don't know how long the man had been waiting next to the pool. But we know that he suffered for nearly four decades. And generally people sitting near these pools, they had already tried everything else. It was a last resort. Before we give him a hard time or before we give a hard time of the, the people who had jumped over the rope to get into the waters below the, the ruins, before we give them a hard time, think of all of the remedies that you have tried when you've been ill. Getting multiple opinions from a variety of doctors. Trying a multitude of supplements. Beginning new routines. Starting new habits. And it doesn't have to be physical health either. Could be mental, could be emotional, could be spiritual. There are all kinds of metaphorical pools that we sit ourselves next to, trying to get well. And the severity of our of our condition often uh, often dictates just how far we're willing to go, and how long we're willing to wait. So one of the questions I'd like us to to think of today and this week is what are those pools that you're sitting next to? When you think of ways that you want to be made well, where do you go? What are the pools that you're sitting next to? John tells us that Jesus was in Jerusalem that day for for some sort of of festival. It was was likely Passover or or Pentecost. Um, And he enters through the Sheep Gate on Sabbath. And the sheep gate, I should mention, was the, was the gate, it was fairly close to the temple, and it was the gate where most people would enter who had brought some sort of animal to sacrifice. And so it made sense that there would be pools right there as well. It would have been very crowded with people coming and going like an LAX terminal on a holiday season. Think of that sort of crowd without the cars and airplanes, of course. And in the middle of the crowds, there are these pools with five separate areas to sit or lay. And those five areas, they're full of people in need. Most visitors that day, they had somewhere to go. They had to get to the temple. They had a a feast to go and eat, a place to go celebrate. And they'd walked right by, numb to the scene that they had witnessed time and time again as they passed through that gate. But not Jesus. He sees through the crowd, he notices one person. 
You notice that? He sees through the crowd and he notices this, this one person. It's something that he does often in his ministry. He does it with Nicodemus. He does it with, with Bartimaeus to the woman at the well. He sees the one in the midst of the crowd. It's a great reminder for us when we feel helpless. Whether we're feeling crowded by actual people or, or, or crowded by busy schedules or, or crowded by overactive minds. That God sees us as an individual where we sit. But Jesus doesn't stop with just, with just noticing him. He doesn't cross the street to walk away from him. He doesn't walk the other direction. He goes to him. He moves toward him. A few years ago, I was invited to uh, be a, a part of a dialogue with the city council of, of Thousand Oaks. And this dialogue was centered around uh, homelessness and how we handle it in our own community. And I'll never forget what the mayor at that time said about the shift that he went through as he began to kind of work through this, this struggle in his own mind. As he, he stopped to talk with people that he now saw as neighbors and heard their stories about how they came to the place where they lost their home or or no longer had a secure place to live. He assumed before having the conversation with these folks that they moved here from somewhere else, that they got on a bus and arrived here. And then as he started talking to them, he found out, hey, that one played football at Thousand Oaks High School. That one was in the marching band at Westlake High School. He he learned that they were all from the Conejo Valley. They They were our neighbors. They were our neighbors. Now, we don't know the backstory of Bethsaida. We don't know the backstory of the man who was there, where he was originally from, or what caused his ailment. We don't know if he played the victim card with every person who passed by or if the excuse he gave Jesus was a tired one that the entire community knew. We don't know. But we know that Jesus sees him helpless and hopeless. And he doesn't shy away from meeting him in that place. Now, the translation that we read, it matches what what many translations say. Uh, Jesus asks, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? But I don't think that question, that translation of the question, captures all that's happening in the the interaction here. Uh, Jesus' question isn't only about his physical state. The Greek word that John uses for well in, in, in this sentence also translates to whole or fully complete. Do you want to be whole? Do you want to be complete? The question carries a deeper meaning than just an illness. Do you want to be whole? Healthy? Have a meaningful life? Do you want to start over? Will you take a chance and do something productive with it? Do you want to be whole? As Jesus asked the question, he's, he's offering this man a lifeline to change everything that he had known. And my guess is, as we think about how we might answer that question, do we want to be well? It's not just our physical state we think of. It's not just 
if we've got a cold that's been lingering for three months or, or, or something else. It's a big question. And how would you respond to the opportunity to be made complete, to be whole? If Jesus heals the man, he says, pick up your mat and walk. Period. There's a lesson to be learned in what went unsaid here. Pick up your mat and walk. Period. When we read about Jesus healing people elsewhere, he usually includes a tag to that line. Pick up your mat and walk. Your faith has healed you. Right? He usually includes something to the tune of your faith has healed you. We see it with the woman who reached through the crowd who had been wrestling with bleeding for years. He says, your faith has healed you. We we see it with blind Bartimaeus, who I mentioned earlier. Your faith has healed you. And we see it with the centurion's servant's daughter. Your faith has healed you. But not here. Pick up your mat and walk. Period. It stops. There's no mention of faith being a prerequisite for healing. And the reminder for us here, the lesson for us here, is that faith isn't a work to be performed to somehow earn God's grace. Faith isn't a work to be performed so that we can somehow earn God's grace. We can't earn God's grace. We know that the man has changed. We know that he's made whole, and not just because he gets up and walks, but because of where he goes after the event. He heads to the festival of the temple where all the crowds are going. It's the place where everyone who had passed him by earlier that day, earlier that week, had already gone. And while he's there, he's questioned by the religious leaders who obviously knew who he was. And then he's questioned by Jesus himself. Jesus slips out of the crowd or I should say Jesus uh, heals him, he slips into the crowd, and then he, he slips back out of the crowd to talk to him again. We're told that Jesus instructs him to, to stop sinning, to hold fast to the opportunity that he had been given. And then we don't know what happens with the man. But we do know that he starts this new life in the temple. He starts it with worship on the Sabbath. So at the very least, we don't, we don't know where he is in 10 years, but we know right after he's healed, he's off to a good start. Jesus, he, he meets the man in Bethsaida when this man feels most helpless. And he asks him, do you want to be made whole? It's an invitation that goes beyond the surface. And as we head into the rest of this year, we've got 50 more weeks this year. Grappling with all the brokenness that's in our world, and there is a lot. With with all of the hurt that we individually are dealing with, with the illnesses that our loved ones are dealing with, may we remember that God sees us, that God draws near to us when we feel most helpless. Let's pray.
Holy God, there are so many pools that we find ourselves next to. Pools of perceived health. Pools of success. Pools of stability. Pools of desire. Meet us as we sit next to them. And as you meet us, show us your grace that we might be transformed and made complete in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.